So I have this recurring chest nightmare. Oh my god, I can't wait. And in it, I get absolutely bodied. Like 12 seems right in the <laughs> amount of moves by like a much lower rated young player. Me. No. <laughs> You've never had a dream when I bodied you? Come on, I don't believe that. It's not just like I get beat, but I'm shocked that I missed so many things. And then the dream continues. And then at some point, the moves start coming to me. And I realize that my opponent made several highly illegal moves. And I just didn't call them. Like knights moving from one color to the same color, multiple bishops jumping over pawns. This happens, this particular dream in different settings, at least once a week and has for several years. Yeah. And I'm not a psychoanalyst, but should we just do some dream analysis anyway? What do you think it means? Deep down, I'm afraid I don't know the rules of chess. Like I get stressed out a lot. And like, that's one of the worst things my brain can come up with. Okay. Oh, you know what we should do? In order to free you from this worst nightmare scenario, we need to think about some things way worse than what you think is the worst thing your brain can come up with. I think we need to find a way to top that. Name one. (laughs) Name one worst scenario. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's a worst scenario. You're at the board. You're getting bodied in 12 moves. And you look across the chessboard and you realize it's Rudy Giuliani shirtless. And you understand in the dream that after he beats you, he's going to try to kiss you. Yeah. No, that's great. Like, as far as horrible experiences go, I think like what fucks me up about the illegal move one is there were so many parts. Every move, basically, something was in my control and I just failed to see it. This sounds like an experience that's horrible, but so out of my control that I just have to like accept that this is going to happen and tell the story without having to be like, and I could have stopped it, but missed it. (laughs) So no, 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 mine's worse. Mine, some might even say is spookier. (laughs) Agree to disagree. Sorry, disagree to agree. (laughs) Drop. Okay, fine. So you can't think of anything worse than that? No, but maybe some of our listeners can. Hi. Are you obsessed with chess, but also kind of fun at parties? Do you keep your opening prep on your bedside table right next to your feelings journal? Welcome to the Chess Feels Podcast. The only chess podcast dedicated to the social and psychological aspects of this game we know and love. And hate. Tune in every week to join me professional chess teacher and amateur feelings hacker, JJ Lang. And me, professional therapist and amateur checkmate finder, Julia Rios. As we dive into our shared love for the game and attempt to answer the most burning question for every chess obsessive. Why are are we we like like this? this? Yeah. We should really start to explore the depraved minds of the people who actually listen to and engage with the Chess Feels podcast. It fucks me up how whenever people post pictures of themselves in our merch, they all look like normal, happy, attractive members of society. <gasps> me too. I'm always expecting to see a basement cellar dweller neck beard. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that just looks like a person. <laughs> it's like Rudy Giuliani taking off his Chess Feels apparel. <laughs> Say more about that. Well, I was just trying to think of like, who would I expect to be wearing our shirt? Someone who's unappealing. Okay, okay, I yeah. follow. Yeah. It's a I callback. Follow. A minute ago, you were... Oh, sorry. I know. I get distracted because when I think about kissing really Giuliani, you know, it's easy to sort of get lost in that fantasy. But um, Julia, there's no space for sex in chess. <laughs> Actually, I didn't hear anyone say there's no space for sex. I just heard that there's no space for my breasts specifically. So like... We could be having sex potentially, but I just would have to cover that part up. 
Well, for modesty, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's like so inappropriate. Yeah, maybe that's a lot of people's worst chess nightmare is literally just a picture of me standing in a room in my house. <laughs> just standing there. But I, but I do have a body. Maybe that's what getting bodied means. It's just like seeing a woman's body, but not being allowed to comment on it. <laughs> well, specifically not being allowed to try to shit on them and disparage their existence in the world. Having to just let them exist is just totally an unacceptable reality to most people, apparently. So while we've established that for most of Chess Twitter, seeing a woman in control of her own body and sexuality is the scariest thing they can imagine in the chess world. For our listeners, <laughs> they had to come up with things that were more creative. So today, <laughs> for a very spooky edition of Chess Feels, we Gail will keep all of her clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> we will keep all of our clothes on. So I'm not sure how many people have had genuinely scary things happen to them over the board. However, I can definitely think of nightmares not as bad maybe as the illegal moves but there's just so many things that can be terrifying that i just hope will never happen or just live in fear of who that has played over the board consistently for any significant period of time does not have a true horror story liars or they're the people that are actually perpetuating the horror and you do not have a horror story it is because you, you are the subject of a horror story. That you is are the horror story. Definitely. So today, <laughs> for a very spooky edition of Chess Feels, we asked our listeners, and what we got was a smattering of the obscene, the obscure, the, the esoteric. We see more, JJ. What, what are you trying to say? Oh, I'm just trying to come up with a bunch of adjectives that make it sound like these stories are like deeply kind of occultish. The darkly erotic... <laughs> the unthinkable. The unspeakable. The unknowable. And the unchessable. The unimaginable. <laughs> Welcome to the chess files. <laughs> the chess house of horror. We are truly about to probe the deepest, darkest recesses of human nature if we can actually call OTB chess players human. Human. Or natural. So first up to tell stories about their worst fears, we have world champion Magnus Carlsen to talk about what it's like to play a cheater. Okay, no, Magnus couldn't make it, but don't worry. We have the next best possibility. Maybe some would even say more exciting. Chris <laughs> Callahan. <laughs> Hello, I'm Chris Callahan. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. I'm going to send you those Lee Chess board colors by the end of our uh, lifetime, I promise. I am a Lee Chess community organizer, and I have also been a youth chess coach for almost 20 years now. This story takes place at a youth chess tournament. It was for kids of all ages, and in one game there were two brothers playing. The two brothers were only a year or two apart in age. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> There's the setting so you can make it so they don't get paired with each other. I only know this because there was a really strong player whose little brother was taking chess more seriously and the mother literally insisted that they get paired and like override pairings to make it so they got paired because she wanted little to be big 
to like light a fire under his ass, and it did. I don't like that. No, it's terrible. Anyways, let's hear how these brothers went. Okay, actually, I was going to bring this up, JJ. As soon as I saw that this story was called Brothers, the first thing I thought of was, I feel like any man should not have a brother. You can't have brothers. There can't be two. I agree. I don't know if I would blame the man for having the brother. I would blame the parents. Oh, no. I would blame the brother for being a brother. It's not that brothers are bad. There's something inherently incorrect about that. It's like cheating in chess. It's not that it's bad. It's that it's wrong. (laughs) Uh, You can do it a little as a treat. They were either towards the end of elementary school or or at the beginning of middle school. So something like 11 or 12 years old each. And they're playing the game. And one one of the brothers is winning and one of the brothers is losing. And the brother who's losing suddenly stands up and takes a step towards his brother on the other side of the board and punches him very hard right in his face. Chess boxing. <laughs> okay, so this is a comedy. I thought that we were doing horror. Well, the, the scary part is, as of now, at least the other brother hasn't been punched in the face. <laughs> Boom. Strangely enough, no one reacts to this. The, the kid who got punched does not react. None of the players sitting next to them react. None of the adults who are supposedly in charge of things react. Everyone just sort of freezes. And uh, the kid who got punched just sort of goes back to the game and keeps looking for moves, and it seems like nothing happened. So the kid who threw the punch is now thoroughly confused and and this sort of short-circuited whatever rage he tapped into. And a a second later, he just sits back down and, and they keep playing. Wait, psychologically, what's going on here is like, is this a thing that happens that you just get up, punch somebody and now it's out of your system? Is this like a true thing? I mean, honestly, if the other person doesn't react, then maybe, right? Like the situation escalates, right? You Mm -hmm. lash out. Mm -hmm. What you're trying to do is sort of engage in that provocation. But this is actually something that we do talk about in couples therapy, this idea that fighting is a choice. So even if one person in the partnership is kind of instigating that escalation or that argument, we don't tend to keep fighting or beating someone who just goes limp. So this really is an interesting sort of response that's not totally unheard of. If you just don't respond, like, yeah, the fight is over. Like, you can actually de-escalate things really quickly by not responding, which is really hard to do when someone punches you in the face, but... It's less hard if you can just go back to finding good moves. Yeah, maybe it's like a fight or flight response and they just chose freeze. That's very possible, too. Somehow, word got out about what happened because a moment later a tournament director comes by to investigate what happened and he asks the kid who threw the punch, did you did you just punch your brother? I, I, somebody said you punched your brother. And the kid says, nope, nope, I, I didn't punch anybody. And then the tournament director asks the second kid, did your brother just punch you? And that kid says, nope, I don't know what you're talking about. So now we can add the tournament director to the list of people who are very confused and he just walks away and lets the kids continue the game. The brothers then finish the game without incident. Uh, nothing especially interesting happened after that, and everyone went on with their lives. I have no explanation for what happened there, and I've thought a lot about it over the years, <laughs> and, I, and I still have no explanation. Okay, that's like the most terrifying part to me in this entire story. Chris, why are you thinking about this a lot over the years? You need to think about something else. I mean, it's the literal definition of conflict without resolution, so I get it. (laughs) No, there was a resolution. 
lying about it and acting like it never <laughs> happened. Nothing happened. That's my favorite resolution. <laughs> uh, did your brother punch you? Nope. And now, beloved Chessfields podcast superfan, Kamandizi, is here to tell us about why he quit chess for six years. This is the chess horror story that made me quit the game for about six years. It's 2006, I'm a sophomore in high school, and I'm playing third board for my high school chess team. Now, so far, I'd had a pretty good season individually, and the season is coming to a close, which kind of culminates with the big state tournament. Now, the big state tournament, at least in Illinois, it's a single event with no sections, and it's a team event. So basically, if you're in Illinois high school, you can find eight people that want to go play chess for a weekend, you're in the tournament. That alone is scary to me, to be honest. I was used to team tournaments in high school being it's an individual tournament and they take whichever players have the top four scores and that is your team score. Not like you could be the lowest rated player on your team, but it still all comes down to you. <laughs> so that is that is the scariest part that we've gotten to so far in the story. Pressure. I thought the scariest part was that people grow up in suburban Illinois, but carry on. Um, I grew up in a small town, small high school in northwestern Illinois, so it was going to be a lot of schools like us, but also the big, bad, huge high schools around Chicago as well. Now, I was playing third board for the event. I was looking forward to it. Like I said, I was having a good season. A week before the tournament, our board one and our board two get busted at a party for underage drinking. They're disqualified from participating in the tournament, and I'm sliding all the way up from board three to board one against the big bad high schools. Now we're into like the more absurd parts of the story. Like, let's pause on that. Is this the only time that this is the reason why a boards one and two of a chess team have been suspended from a state tournament? Not a chance. Literally, do you know how many high schoolers get busted and cited for drinking? There's no way this is the one time this happened, JJ. For chess players. I just think it's so funny that apparently Aaron wasn't cool enough to be busted at the party, so he had to play the chess. (laughs) This was a boards one and two party, and he had to three himself out of there. (laughs) So going in, I'm thinking, okay, you know, this could be a fun challenge. We'll see how it goes. I'm not supposed to do that well. So, you know, low pressure. We'll we'll see how how it all plays out. Well, I go in there, and I just get absolutely embarrassed. I mean, just dog walked by these guys that probably have 800 rating points on me, if not closer to a thousand for some of them. I think the guy at the top board who who ended up scoring seven out of seven was actually a national master, uh, just to give an idea. But again, this is a team event. So after a couple of games of this, and I can kind of see how this is going. The problem is it's a team event. There's no buys. There's no withdrawing. You're stuck there, and I'm just getting my ass beat for game after game after game. Finally, in the last round, I was able to swindle a draw, so I came out of there with a half point out of seven. Uh, But it was a pretty demoralizing experience. Oh, this isn't, like, funny, scary. This is, like, sad. I came into the tournament excited, thinking, hey, you know, I'm not too bad at chess. I'm pretty good. Actually, there's only two guys in the high school that can beat me, and they're seniors. I'm a sophomore. I've got a couple more years to catch up to these guys. And then walked out of there with, hey, forget good. You're not even average at this thing. And so coming out of that, I think I played maybe two or three over-the-board games over the next 
six years and probably longer than that. It was really another eight years or so before I got back to playing over the board consistently. I just wanted to do other things. So that's my story. Okay, maybe that's a happy ending. Like you ended up doing other things and you didn't waste your life on chess. Yeah, I think so. I think the scary part of the story is that he's back to playing over the board. (laughs) Yeah, we need a follow up. We need a part two, Deets. You got to let us know how you got sucked back into this shithole. That's also like such a good analogy for growing up in general. It's like, hey, I'm pretty good. There's only two people at my school who are better than me. And then it's like, wait, shit. And there's two people at every school who are better than me. And there's a lot of schools. And it's just those two people from every school all in the same room at every room I walk into the rest of my life. (laughs) And that's adulthood. Uh, Adulthood. I'm not even average at this thing I thought I liked. (laughs) It's about the sample size. It's about the sample size. Hang in there, Deets. This next one from National Master Ian Harris. We're going to be going on his podcast. Nope, we're going on. He's he's on our podcast right now. We're going on his Twitch stream in a couple days after this is released, though. Mm, that's gonna it's gonna be a new new level of horror right there. Yeah, the Julia and Omar versus JJ and Ian hand and brain challenge. You think that's funny? Somebody made that joke. I thought it was funny. I didn't. That's why I didn't respond to it or like it. It literally gave me anxiety and I was like, I just won't be on that stream anymore. Hello, Julia. Hello, JJ. This is National Master Ian Harris. Here to tell you the story of the strangest thing that happened to me during one of my tournament games and, uh, it's actually pretty funny because I didn't even know it was happening to me at the time. <laughs> People don't seem to know what horror means, but carry on with your funny story. So I was playing in a over-the-board tournament, classical time control, a few hours per player, and uh, against an expert on the top board of our section. And, you know, we we're like halfway through the game, and I make my move, get up, decide to take a break, walk around, I go to the bathroom, I come back. When I get back, my opponent is still thinking, uh, but my clock is running. So I look at the board trying to see what movie did and I can't I can't find it. And it usually pops out right away, of course. So so I, I check with my opponent and says, Is it my turn or your turn? What's going on here? And uh, he says, Oh no, it's, it's it's my turn still. So it was kinda weird. I don't think I've ever really forgotten to press my clock before. So I shrug and figure that must have been what happened, so I press my clock back to him. He's thinking, he makes his move eventually and the game goes on. I uh, eventually managed to win. So what do you think happened? I know. Did a ghost press the clock? (laughs) I mean, where I imagine this is going, is he going to say essentially like, oh, when I got up, my opponent pressed their clock incorrectly to make my clock run out? Like, was his opponent cheating? The answer to those two questions is not quite and yes, in that order. (gasps) Oh my God. Okay, keep going. After the game, he uh, comes up to me and says... You know, Ian, I'm, I'm so sorry about what happened during the game. I feel so bad about it. I, did, I hadn't thought anything of it. I was just like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and he's like, yeah, when you got up to take a break, I, I made my move. And uh, I immediately realized it was a game-losing blunder and took it back. Um, but I, uh, you know, I made my move and I pressed the clock and I forgot to press the clock back. <laughs> so it was like... Uh, I mean, to me, I was like almost completely shocked. 
that something like that could happen. Not only did he like touch a piece and move it to a square and let go, he also pressed the clock and then decided, oh no, it's not actually what I want to do and took it back. Um, fortunately, didn't affect the result for me, but, but uh, to this day, I'm still like, how could anybody possibly think about doing that um, during a tournament game? So anyway, yeah, that was, that was the strangest thing that, that ever happened to me during a tournament. Hope you enjoyed. Oh my God, that story would make me literally never want to get up. When you were saying, how are these horror stories? Like, no, this is one. This, this is like, I don't know. I think I'm now more afraid to leave the chessboard than I am to like leave the door unlocked at night. I thought you were going to say to leave the door unlocked when I go to the bathroom at the chess game. <laughs> oh, they don't have doors in the bathroom for the chess games. Oh my God. I know you guys should just pee outside. I can't believe the person admitted it. Yes. Admitted that though. That's kind of like the most shocking part that someone would do all of those things and then essentially get away with it. Lose the game anyway. So it's not even on your conscience. It's not even like, oh, I got a point that I didn't deserve. But then still to say something like all of that. Yeah. So disorienting. Yeah. Or almost like it seemed like he almost thought that Ian figured out what happened and was like mm. apologizing as if it's like you probably figured out that you hit your clock and were wondering why it was going. But like who would figure that out? Yeah. That would never occur to me in a million years that that's what happened. Because Right, exactly. Because what you said, your, your hypothesis was like the simplest explanation, right? Like they tried to steal a few minutes. Um, yeah, and mine's like, I almost feel like that explanation is like slightly more sinister. Like... Mm. There could be something more impulsive about, oh, I made a blunder and I tried to take it back and then now the person's at the border across from me and I I just panic and I forgot to change the clock and this all got away from me and then I confessed at the end. I feel like there's actually something like weirdly worse about someone stands up and then you like gaslight them into thinking that they didn't hit their clock. Which has happened to me. <gasps> Shut up. What yeah. happened? It was a tournament at the Marshall Chess Club. I usually write down the clock times after each move to mark how things are going. And right. so I'm playing this person who's visiting from another country, German. He makes his move. I write down that he has like 28 minutes left. I make my move. I write down I have 26 minutes left. Go up, walk around, and I come down, and he's still thinking. Mm-hmm. But my clock is going. And now it says I have 23 minutes left. And I'm like, wait, but I didn't see your move. And mm -hmm. he's like, oh, you didn't hit your clock. And I'm like, oh, okay. But then I look at his clock and it has 26 minutes left. So he has <gasps> lost two minutes in that time that I have not hit my clock. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, JJ, what did you do? Uh, the only thing I could do, I quickly and impulsively played a move that I thought was winning and walked into the trap and <gasps> walked into a perpetual and we agreed to a draw and I didn't break 2000 in that tournament, which I would have if I won the game. <gasps> oh my god! It's cool, I did it like the next week. That has to be the most horrible story on this show though, I'm, I'm really feeling something inside. <laughs> oh my god, that's so messed up. Did you ever encounter that person again? Do you want to drop their name on the pod? I mean, his name was Johannes. He's like he was like 15 at the time, so that would probably make him what 20. And he's German, so Johannes, mm. if you're listening, like go fuck yourself. <laughs> but also, anything that you do between the ages of 12 and 17 is like totally fine. <laughs> he was just a small little baby boy. 
<laughs> he was only 15 years old. He could barely walk and talk to people. <laughs> Can't be held responsible for his actions. Speaking of children, next up we have Fide Master Nate, who will be on our podcast next week to talk about how you're playing Openings Rock. But now he's going to tell us his experience is playing near or against children and demonstrate how he has no understanding of what a scary story is. Yeah, the one that I tweeted that you asked about was the U.S. Amateur Team East, because that's the only tournament I play in. I was playing um, Brewington Hardaway, who's like, mm-hmm. you know, like a mass young kid. Mass He's now early. the middle school champion of champions. This is a few years ago, but he was already a master. So I'm playing him. I I play the Trompowski. He kind of plays uh, the opening a little bit ac- inaccurately and gets a passive position. You know, so I have a great position. He can't really move anything. But I find I get this this scenario quite a lot against kids, which, you know, they, they don't know the opening that well. I get a good position. And then, like, for the whole middle game, I'm just trying to, like, keep them in a box. But they're very resourceful and tenacious, so it's not that easy. So that's sort of how it's going. And he, he's listening he's been he's listening to his headphones, which I don't even know if you're allowed to do that anymore, but um, yeah, he had headphones and this you know, obviously he's not cheating in this game, he's just listening to music. But yeah, obviously. his um, <laughs> how how is that obvious, Nate? How can you be so sure? Because he had a bad position. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I I, I don't think he was cheating. I, I saw nothing to indicate foul play <laughs> in this game. If, if we've learned anything from the Han situation, you can never be sure. You can never be too suspicious. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so he had sort of a depressing position, you know, and you could like, his body language was like, you could see that he didn't like his position. Like I may maybe more attuned to this now from like playing poker for a bunch of years. But yeah, he has a bad position. He obviously has a bad position. But, you know, at some point I mess up and he has a move that, that I didn't see that he plays right away. You know, and I realize it's a good move, and it's not like winning, but but his pieces are getting active, and like the game is sort of opening up. And then after he played that move, so he, he had been listening to his headphones the whole time, but he actually like stood up and and started to dance, like not like not like clowning on me or anything, but just like unconsciously, like you know, he was feeling the activity of his pieces so much mm-hmm. that he just kind of started like vibing with it. So that that was definitely when I knew. Um, I mean, I, I already, you know, once he played the move on the board, it was clearly a good move, but then... Wait, Nate, sorry. Yeah. B- vibing with it, so he was cheating. <laughs> Are you sure you're not insinuating anything yet? If you Wait, insinuate something on this podcast, you could oh be up no. for 100 mil, so be careful. Oh, no. Okay, well, yeah, okay, you got to edit that part out so I don't get sued. How hard was he vibing? <laughs> I mean, like, just sort of, like, calm, but, like, you know, but it, it was a very different because he was, like, visibly depressed because his position was so bad. And then, you know, he had this one move that I had missed, and, like, suddenly he was back in it, you know? Mm-hmm. How convenient. Just kidding. Continue. I don't know. That, that's, that, that's, that's pretty much the whole story. That's the story. Um, <laughs> okay, so it's a horror story for you. What's the, what's, where's the horror? Well, just that, like, I had... I was in a spot I wanted, and then just his whole um, demeanor changed, and I realized I was in massive trouble. <laughs> um, that is horrible. Actually, I, that particular game, I did manage to win. Late. It, it followed a script that also I've had a lot against kids, which which is I get a great position in the opening. 
I'm trying to keep a lid on everything. Eventually, I mess up. It just becomes an absolute free-for-all, but they've um, invested a lot of time and energy to get to even a playable position. And then somehow in the resulting free-for-all, like I find some shot and sort of randomly win the game. So that that was sort of like the end. Okay, sorry, Nate. I'm just going to have to repeat this back to you. Your horror story is that you had a better position. Your opponent found one good move, but then you actually won your chess game. That's that's right. I do, but okay, audience, but, close your ears, uh, turn this like, off. If you can't handle, I, I do have, <laughs> I do have another one though, which, it's not. This one didn't happen to me. It was the board next to me. This this one is so scary. I don't even know if I should tell you guys, especially because um, you know JJ is currently like going after the master title as an adult. This this is very scary. Oh, are they? That's news to me. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure my behavior. Cracks <laughs> that, but anyways, continue. Okay, so this this is also involving a, a very strong young player. This this one was the board next to me. This is like a tournament in the Boston area. Final round. Um, on the board next to mine, it's um, Carissa Yip, you know, who's very famous now. Um, versus, uh, I don't know, some some young guy. But but so here's the thing: before the game. You know, it's like a 30-year-old guy or something. Before the game, he says to her, if I get at least a draw in this game, I will become a master. (laughs) And so Carissa just said, okay. So, like, (laughs) she didn't say, okay, boomer, but, like, the boomer was implied. (laughs) (laughs) Love her. You know, so I'm just kind of watching this out of the corner of my eye. Fast forward a few hours. I'm playing my game. I'm kind of watching this game. It's been like quite even, like nothing has really happened. They're they're in like an equal endgame and the guy offers a draw. And it's just like, no, like snap decline. Absolute snap decline. <laughs> oh my god. She made that decision three hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> that makes me so happy. I thought you were gonna say the opposite knee and like no. he pressured her. No, this is not a horror mm. story. Go on, go on, go on. <laughs> so yeah, so she declines the draw. A few moves later. She just totally tricks him and and wins the game. Um, so that guy did not become a master in that tournament. So I guess my my takeaway from that is um, if you're trying to become a master and you need a draw, and you're playing an incredibly talented and savagely competitive youngster, um, do not tell them. Absolutely, do not tell them that. <laughs> Bottle it up inside, bro. Yeah, yeah, that's that's just good advice. So what genre of horror is that one, Nate? Is that like a jump scare or gore? What do you think? Kind of like camp horror? It's more of, I would say it's more of like a slow burn, more like... Psychological thriller. What's the thing of like, if there's the gun, like the Chekhov's gun, you know, if you see it in the first act... It's you gonna already go off, that's right. From, from the pre-game conversation, you already knew what was coming, right? Yeah. Just... No, no. Remember what I said? I was afraid that this was a true horror story in which he would pressure oh. her and that she would give the draw in a winning position. I mean, that would honestly turn my stomach. Well, I just kind of figured from the last story that Nate didn't understand what a scary story is. <laughs> I know. It's becoming more and more obvious. <laughs> so I figured that wasn't going to happen. Okay. I'm, yeah, you know, I've never actually lost a chess game, so <laughs> when that happens, it'll probably be pretty unpleasant for me. But Yeah, not, uh, not with the vibes you seem to be on, Nate. <laughs> Thank you.
On the topic of playing competitive youngsters, we now have a story of playing a 15-year-old girl who resorts to psychological tricks in order to dupe her opponent. <laughs> Hi, Gigi and Julia. You ask for tournament horror stories. Here is mine. I recently played my first chess tournament after starting chess like a good year ago. And I lost the two first rounds. Basically had good positions, but after two and a half hours, the concentration just went somewhere else. That's the same as Nate's story. <laughs> Wait, that's true. She's saying it so pleasantly, though. And so I had a day off uh, due to this with tournament manager and was back on day four for my third round. And I knew I am facing a 15-year-old girl. Uh, I have the white pieces for the first time in this tournament. And she plays the Scandi, which is actually quite good news since I have this amazing chessable course by Andrew Stott where I exactly knew what to do about the Scandi. So I went in there, felt good, and I, yeah, I sat down, and the first thing I noticed this girl, and she had one of these weird 90s t-shirts with these really funny slogans. And it said something, I mean, harshly translated, it was meant meaner than I actually said. And through the whole time, uh, yeah, I was thinking, who wears that kind of t-shirt? That's a really weird thing. What do you think it said? I don't know, dare to keep kids off drugs? That's kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh. In this economy? <laughs> I know, the real dare. Dare to be on drugs. What do you think it said, JJ? I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I know like the genre of poorly translated t-shirt from the 90s, but like, I don't know. I hope it said like chess feels, but like with the Stouffer's lasagna logo. No, you can't wear that to a tournament. How could anyone concentrate? Maybe it was just a picture of Hans's face and it said free Hans. <laughs> if you look that provocative, you can't go out to a chess tournament wearing a chess feels. Stouffer's t-shirt. Isn't that your profile picture? I know, and it's disgusting, and I do feel bad. Anyway, uh, there were still some minutes before the game started, so I told her I had yesterday the day off and look forward to the game, and she said, yeah, the tournament is going so well for her, and actually the one before also went so well for her. It's so great, and that she's so glad that she didn't have a day off because she is on such a roll, and actually she is here to learn something. Like, I am not her. And that she has a code refer and they talk about every game afterwards and do some analysis, and yeah, it's all going so well. And she actually prefers the black pieces. So if they're paired, that means this person has likely also lost at least two games. So she's like shit talking Iris and like one of the lower <laughs> boards of the tournament. God, I would just never, I would literally never speak to anyone at a tournament. Like I have nothing to say and I don't want to hear what anyone else has to say. Yeah, I mean, I make jokes about always showing up to my games late, but like, yeah, would you rather have three extra minutes on your clock or not have to talk to a stranger? There's just no way in hell I would sit down at the board even 10 seconds before the clock starts. I am not having a conversation, even if my life depends on it, and certainly not if the game depends on it. I know, like, because I have, like, chess culture, like, beaten into me, I'm going to have to talk to you after the game. So, like, that's enough. See, I'm so glad I have none of that. Once I start playing some over-the-board chess, I'm literally getting up and going home. Are you not supposed to do that? Yeah, the 
I'm never going to talk to anybody again before my game. Anyway, uh, so the game started. Uh, her opening prep was not good, really. I mean, after move four or five, I knew this is not okay. Uh, and I had much space. I developed my pieces. I had initiative. I felt like this hyper-aggressive playing style. And uh, yeah, I took my time. Um, basically, uh, afterwards in analysis, I found out I was like uh, plus six, plus seven most of the game. And I felt really great. And I just didn't quite see the point where I could crush her, uh, finish her off. And yeah, so I was struggling. And basically on move 37, I was low on time. Uh, the whole room was getting louder and louder. And yeah, I blundered a rook. And after that, uh, yeah, uh, I was gone. <laughs> and yeah, it happened. It's okay. I'm now in a safe space. And yeah, so I lost and though I should have won that game. And afterwards, uh, she talked to me and said, Oh, she's so surprised. She, ne she never plays that bad, actually. She doesn't know why. And also, she would have found for me so many chances to play better in my spot and to basically win the game. Yeah, and after that, I said, I don't have time to go over the game and ran out before I started crying. <laughs> Sorry, she couldn't see me. Yeah, uh, that was my sad story about my last tournament. Thank you. Thank oh my you. God. Psychological bullying from Mean Girl. So psychologically, <laughs> she made the right call by making sure that her 15-year-old girl opponent didn't see her cry, right? I don't know. There might be some like psychological revenge there, or some scarring that could happen. No, I think that like that would just make her grow stronger. Not better at chess, <laughs> but like. Meaner. Oh, good point. Right, yeah. because like yeah, okay, that would that would really traumatize me. But the person who's acting like this already right. actually probably would really feel good about that. One note, by the way, she mentioned the room getting louder and louder. I was actually surprised we only got one story. I'm not even sure if we're going to use it, so in case we don't, we didn't get any stories that really have to do with <laughs> spectators. Oh, yeah, interesting. I mean, how much spectating is there really happening? I, never... I don't think there's a whole lot of, you know, like, I don't think, like, there's, like, a big crowd for road games or something like that, but just from players walking up and down other people's boards, yeah, or people whose game to finish, or, like, siblings, parents. <gasps> um, oh, my God! What about that story that was just on Twitter about the guy who was going to, like, put that GM in the trap and then the spectator walked by? It literally made my like heart fall out of my butt. Okay, he was talking about how he set up some trap and he was playing against a GM. It would have been a GM win. And the GM was reaching for the piece that he's not supposed to move. And then as he's about to touch it, someone walks by and says, oh, what about? And then says basically the move that he himself would have played in the trap. And the Kill GM him. hears him and then takes his hand away and plays the right move. And he was like, I was so angry. I've never been that angry in my whole life. And I was also so angry reading about this like 12 years later. I've, revisit I've revised my stance on the death penalty after hearing that story. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I'm not really sure why this one is scary, but it was submitted, so I'll include it. 
Hello, Jeff Seals Podcast listeners. This is Amelia, JJ's spouse, mother of his dog children and cat child. And I am here to tell you my scariest chess story, which begins many years ago when JJ and I started dating and they were, if you can believe it, not playing chess. Although I'm told they were playing chess, but just like bullet on their phone poorly sometimes. But anyway, they were not playing chess. They were not teaching chess. They were not on chess Twitter. It was, you know, the golden era of our relationship. And then on one fateful day, JJ was moving to Manhattan, New York City, Brooklyn specifically, uh, for a teaching gig for a semester and mentioned that they were interested in playing chess. They had picked up a chess book at some used bookstore we'd been to, and they were thinking about going to the Marshall. And in all of my naivete, I encouraged it. <laughs> I was like, you should definitely go. That sounds like fun. You need to make friends. You can use a hobby. And dear listener, those were definitely fateful last words. Because JJ started going to the Marshall again, or for the first time, and then kept going and kept going. And like a horrible illness, it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And after New York, JJ decided to quit grad school and become a full-time chess teacher. Ah! <laughs> um, horrifying. Ruined my life. Scariest story I could think of. No, not really. I'm so glad you're listening. Take more lessons with JJ. Feed our dogs. Bye. Next up is my student, Liz. I actually had the privilege of meeting her for the first time during a tournament in Las Vegas, which was her first over-the-board experience. I was worried she was going to tell the story about having her coach watch her games during her first OTB. But... She's got something better for us. Okay. Liz, you're here to tell us about your first over the board tournament, which also doubles as your spookiest OTB experience. <laughs> yes, thank you for having me. So uh, many aspects of this tournament were awesome and wonderful and life affirming, but this was unchill. So. It was my first time in a tournament, like a rated one OTB, and I was playing this guy who came to the board wearing a hentai shirt where there was like a naked woman with breasts the size of cantaloupes uh, on his t-shirt. And uh, I knew right when this guy sat down that he didn't like me or at least hostility was a part of his vibe because he would kind of sigh and every time he moved he would slam the piece down and then walk away from the board and sigh oh my god ew it's just so why do people act like this i can't understand maybe the real question is why are they like this (laughs) why is that guy specifically like this it's just so gross okay keep going you know, this was my first tournament, and I was one of the weaker players there. So I was just like, uh, "There's no that seems... part isn't true." Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I felt not like a strong player, 
and uh, I was just like, whoa, I wish this guy wasn't uh, wearing a pornographic shirt and like being kind of aggro during the chess game because it's like, but I also felt like I couldn't say anything to anyone about it, like a TD, because it's like uh, the other player was stronger than me. But for me, this this interaction shows that um, there are ways that some men try to be aggressive in chess that are not about chess. And I believe those people cannot compete on a fair playing field because why do you have to wear like a pornographic t-shirt and uh, I don't know, be hostile to a competitor? Like your chess should speak for itself. So that was my spookiest on the board experience. <laughs> and stay tuned, Liz is actually going to help us design a chess feels branded hentai pornographic t-shirt for future <laughs> of the board club. That's hilarious. Oh, I'm glad Liz liked that idea because I was going to say that's disgusting. I also wanted to say, she asked me, should she have complained? Could she have complained? And the answer, okay. This is an important, this is something that's actually I'm really passionate about when it comes to tournaments. I don't care about always resign, never resign, whatever. Hashtag always complain. Yeah, like bring it up. If you see something, say something. And like, it's not a joke. The way arbiters work is they arbitrate disputes and they handle complaints. And so the worst thing that they can happen is they can tell you that's not against the rules or there's nothing I can do. Let them decide. Exactly. And like, you have to complain a lot, like a lot, a lot to get to the point where you could be yourself penalized for being disruptive. But if you pause the clock and you're like, my opponent's wearing a shirt with a naked woman on it and keeps pounding the clock. I don't know what you can do, but can you find out what you can do? Like any floor TD is going to say, yeah, let me figure out what I can do. Yeah. And then you're also kind of sending a message that, hey, this is not okay. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to let you kind of walk all over me with this aggro to quote Liz behavior. But I can also understand all the reasons someone would have to not do that. Oh, completely. feel like they couldn't actually make that complaint or feel like they have a voice because it is intimidating. If I was in that position, I could definitely see myself being someone who would not say anything um, because I'm already feeling the hostility Mm -hmm. and it's almost like I don't want to exacerbate that. Yeah, especially when you don't know any of the tournament directors or in this case, you know, if all of the floor TDs in your section are dudes, it might not feel like you're going to get taken seriously, which is really a shame. Even though knowing some of the people who work for and run this tournament, it would have been completely fine to say something and it would have like gone in her favor, I'm sure. But yeah, so I say hashtag always complain not to be like you're doing something wrong if you don't complain. But I think there's just this temptation to default. I mean, even in my story about the fucking uh, the German kid, right? Like I realized that he time cheated and I still didn't do anything about it because in the moment. It was easier to not do it. So if anything, I'm like, I will come in to say hashtag always complain because I want that to just be so encouraged that the default is you just kind of almost do it automatically rather than like even having to make that decision. Because if you have to make that decision when you're playing a stressful game of chess, like it's already negative. Also, I don't know what the rules would be for a TV, but you would think that like if someone's wearing an actually like pornographic article of clothing that like the TD would be within their rights to be like, you got to change your shirt. Definitely. There is something that is sort of provocative and 
inappropriate. Consider like my Benoni tank top provocative, but like this yeah, is yeah. And if you wore that, to, yeah. if you wore that to a tournament, JJ, that's messed up. You need to cover up. Yeah, no, I would never. I would never wear my opening prep on my shirt. <laughs> yeah, why would you just feed the answers to your opponent like that? <laughs> Get ready for a real stinker of a story from my dear friend Matt back in Chicago. Yeah, the grossest thing that happened was um, the round prior, the kid who I'm going to be talking about was wearing his swim trunks because he was uh, from out of town, so I assume that's the only other pair of pants he had to put on between rounds. But uh, so we're just maybe three quarters way through a game, and I smell this, this really awful stench that, you know, smells like human feces. And I think someone like farted and I'm just like kind of waiting for it to pass and it gets worse and worse. And I see a kid walking around <laughs> scratching his butt crack with a pencil. <laughs> like clearly ignoring like the fact that he just crapped his pants and like watching other games. Oh, so he's just walking around. Yeah, he's walking around with shit in his pants and he's like scratching it cause it's like itching. <laughs> Can you explain how you knew that it was him? Were you following the smell? Was it visible? Um, oh, yeah. When he'd walk, his board was a few away from me. So, like, as he would walk past me, it would just waft by. And he'd walk around watching games with the pants, a pant load full of, of crap. So, because he's wearing swim trunks in the next round, he eventually figured out and somebody... So he finished his game. So I went, I couldn't take it anymore. So I went to the director's room because the directors weren't present in the hall and I I said so there's a kid a couple boards away from me who pooped his pants and the directors are both like simultaneously said oh, I'm not again <laughs> and then and then they argued about who was gonna go deal with it and then they asked me like how do you think we should deal with it and I'm like I don't know but I can't continue to play with the smell and I suggested we move our board like across the room did all the boards around him move, or did no one no, else No, just, just us. No You're the only complained. one who noticed. <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine. Now, my opponent said he noticed, and he's just going to like try to ignore it. And I'm like, I'm, I hope I'm doing us both a favor, but I can't sit here. Uh, but yeah, they just they didn't say anything to the kid. They just let him finish his game, and and then, you know, I guess that's what verified that it was him. Was the next round he was wearing swim trunks. You, I know you moved your board, but do you know if he won his game? If he won his game? Yeah. That's a good question. I didn't... Well, let's just say that he won his game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he won his game. So so that's amazing. The obvious jokes here, if you would let something like crapping your pants interfere with your concentration during a chess game, you're not concentrating hard enough. And um, <laughs> Matt's been playing chess since his opponents were doing PP in their pampers. <laughs> Yeah, that about sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, I'm curious, have you always traveled with an extra pair of pants for yourself? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, I appreciate you having a uh, real lesson here, actually, for our listeners, because it's not every uh, scary story that comes with um, practical advice for how to prepare for an over the board. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's a high level distraction, too. I think that kid might have done it on purpose <laughs> so have you heard of any other stories of players 
defecating or pissing themselves. I feel like peeing must happen a lot. It must happen a lot. Yeah, off the top of my head, no, but I personally have come close. So now we all know to bring a pair of swim trunks to a tournament just in case. And what else should you bring to a tournament? Well, at MD Emilian says, my opponent was late. It was raining outside hard. He got to the board wet about 15 minutes late. Okay, so he's already rode hard, put away wet. I was about to say, but no, this is a horror story. Like, I, I mean, is this her horror story? Just that someone was late, so I got a time advantage? And wet. Yeah, no, I like that part. He sat down, made his first move, <laughs> and proceeded to crinkle his plastic bag to produce a Panda Express noodle meal with chopsticks and began eating dot 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 noodles. <gasps> now, Julia, you had questions about what was the horror part of this story. I have questions about every part of this story. Maybe I'm just stupid because a lot of people liked this and I felt like the vibe was like, oh yeah, that's messed up. But as someone who doesn't play over-the-board tournaments and is relatively new, newer to chess, I didn't understand. Is it because you shouldn't eat noodles with chopstick at a tournament? I don't... I mean, eating over-the-board is not usually against the rules, but maybe is frowned upon. I wonder, maybe he was bad with chopsticks and the noodles were, like, flying everywhere. Maybe he was slurping. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what I thought was the horror part of the story was that, like, were the noodles just, like, in, like, a plastic grocery bag? Like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, like, the carton got rain-soaked, and so the noodles are just like, crawling out of the bag and, like, slithering yeah. onto the eighth ring. I feel like there's, like, something wrong with me. I read this, and I was like, great, your opponent's late. He's wet, all right. Okay, that doesn't affect me. He's hungry. He's eating Panda Express. My friend JJ loves Panda Express. Always Panda. You can't yuck on anyone's yum. <laughs> oh, we never actually aired that episode, JJ, so no one understands this joke. Uh, can't yuck on anybody's yum. Um, that's from our secret episode. And yeah, noodles, that's fine. Like, whatever. I don't know. I This, this, one, this one didn't chill me to the bone, I guess. <laughs> And here's one that's more um, happening off the page again from Jerome Chess. I've heard this secondhand, but Guy at a tournament's game was forfeited because after nearby players complained, the arbiter determined that the player stank too much. (laughs) I'm like very sensitive to that kind of thing. I I honestly can imagine a real scenario where if I was at a chess tournament and there was an odor that was that noxious that I would just forfeit and be like, I can't sit here anymore because I feel physically ill. Okay, so moving on to a story that I think is actually scary. Oh yeah, I guess you can read some of these too, Julia. Oh, you're so good at reading, JJ, keep going. I don't think that you've messed up a word yet. (laughs) No, why don't you take this one? I want to see if you can actually do it. Okay, I'll read this one just just to prove myself. This one's from NM Buddha. High school nationals in 2011, the kid at the board next to me had a seizure in the middle of the game. They stopped the round and drove in an ambulance to the convention center. He ended up okay, but that was horrifying. 
I don't know if you've ever seen someone have a seizure, but I yes. have, and it is terrifying. I, I have such a flashbulb memory of the first time I saw someone hit the ground and have a seizure, which was in middle school, and it was a kid, and it's, it is really scary. The last time I saw someone had a seizure, I was actually at your university's campus. Oh, okay, you can say the name. Uh, d- <laughs> Okay, so what happened when you were at d- It was a show at the d- coffee house, some sort of electronic indie musician playing, and there were lots of strobe lights. And somebody straight up just started convulsing, and it became pretty <gasps> clear pretty quick that this was like a seizure. I'm like, the musician, I don't think, stopped playing, and it was a pretty bad vibe. Yeah, yikes. Ugh, well, okay, I'm glad at least, uh, I'm glad in this story everything ended up okay. That is really scary. Compared to this one uh, from Matt Plays Chess, who tells us right off the bat, not scary. But I was at a tournament where a guy brought his own oversized gaming desk chair and used that instead of the hotel folding chairs. That's scary. See, that doesn't bother me. Why do we care about this stuff? Like, let people live. If it doesn't affect me, I honestly just immediately forget if I ever encoded that at all. No, I think that would haunt me. I don't know. Like, can you imagine going through life and people are just always replacing shit with their own shit? No, that's scary. Enemy of the podcast, Brayden. <laughs> so, from boyfriend of the podcast, Brayden Loglin. One of my opponents told me a position was stalemate since they were higher rated to try and get a draw. I had to show them that they had a legal move. (laughs) Okay, so Brayden admitted to cheating, talking to his opponent (gasps) and telling them what to play. Oh my god, wait, is that cheating? I mean, in this context, not really, but in general, telling your opponent what move they should play. So in that situation, you're supposed to get an arbiter and explain to them this person thinks that it's a stalemate, but it's not. Yes, I think that would be right. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. That one got my heart rate up. Good job, Brayden. Brayden goes on. Also, the last event I did, people still went while sick and gave me one of the nastiest colds I've ever had and still have right now. (laughs) Plot twist. It was COVID. Brayden, I, I feel for you. It's really messed up. That is a horror story. And I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm happy for him. He beat a higher rated player in the first story. I'm happy for him. Most yeah. of these stories are about losses and Braden's like, I beat a higher rated player. Oh, but he got COVID. <laughs> enemy of the pod, Chess Gaines, Max Barbarov. Oh, is he an enemy of the pod? Who is that? Uh, I've played him online before. and I th- Oh, pff, yeah, enemy. I don't think he knows it was me, but he beat me Ooh. all at once. Yeah. At a New Jersey tournament. Oh, that is a horror story. When I was a kid, the TD chased an older Russian man who was sipping liquor at the board <laughs> out of the playing hall and came back and announced to the guy's opponent in front of everyone that he wins by forfeit. This is the scariest story. I think that um, a world where old Russian men can't drink while they play chess is... Not a world I want to live in. (laughs) So another common genre that we got for these were stories of playing people who are really charming. First, we have um, podcast superfan Chessentials. Because I haven't been there, but in Croatia. For, first of all, I love this, right? Like the first <laughs> no, thing I wants you to know is off. that he's not been in, been to Croatia. Like, <laughs> this story I'm about to tell you, I literally wasn't there, and I've also never been there. 
And it's not just there. It's like it's really important to be like, don't think of me as the kind of person who's been to Croatia. <laughs> to Croatia. Okay, I'm so glad that you find this equally funny, JJ. I was not gonna let you keep reading without commenting on that. <laughs> <laughs> but in Croatia, there is an incident where one guy complained to the guy playing next to him that he is bashing the clock too loud. And after like the <gasps> fifth complaint, the guy stood up and punched him straight in the face. <gasps> Oh my gosh. See, it's not funny when it's adults who aren't brothers. There's something about being mm. brothers where a little violence might be okay as a treat. This, to me, makes me feel so uncomfortable. This uh, this also, I mean, I don't know how it works in Croatia, but um, this also is why you complain to the arbiter and not to the other player. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know if it's like this in Croatia, but um, in the country where I live, this is actually a, a crime and you can go to jail bashing the clock too loud and also i liked the slight ambiguity at first i thought maybe the guy doing the complaining punched the clock basher in the face mm. which would have been better but no it was the yeah oh my god that stresses me out so much well i've never been there i've been there that's why i'm afraid <laughs> So, Tony Rotella has a kind of... This one, I think, actually... I loved this one. I think this one is worse than the other one for me. Okay. This is in the genre of psychological thrillers. Tony says, During a game when I was 15, an opponent, one, whispered, TikTok, TikTok, you're going to run out of time. I really wish I knew the intonation. Like, is this in sing-song? Is this, like, very menacing? Um... I'm imagining I, I, it's like know. Nightmare on Elm Street. It's like, one, two, three, he's coming for you. <laughs> TikTok. Eight, nine, you're gonna run out of time. This is like exactly something I would do, though, to get a rise out of the people that I love. Like, TikTok, let's go. <laughs> um, two, tell me he hated my guts. <laughs> I really feel like I need to understand how this information was being communicated. I don't know what tone to read it in. It's hard for me to not laugh. Um, if someone that I didn't know said that, I would definitely laugh out loud. Um, <laughs> number three, pick up his king and threaten to throw it at me. Was he playing Sam Sevian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry to bury the lead. That was point number five. We're getting there. Um, and number four... <laughs> attempt to dump his water bottle on me those things are actually all so disturbing how do people act like this it 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 really is baffling to the mind what does it mean to attempt to dump his water bottle on me maybe he threw the water and Uh tony dodged it but that's not a dump that's a throw Maybe he went to dump it and Tony knocked the bottle up into the air out of his hands heroically. Oh, maybe he just dislodged his jaw, opened his mouth wide and just drank all the water. Wait, why is that so And then said TikTok, bitch. (laughs) He was like gargling the water. He's like TikTok. (laughs) Wait, that's fucking hilarious. Maybe the man tried to open the water bottle and it was t- it was on too tight and he didn't have a big strong husband to open it for him that could be it yeah i think you nailed it <laughs> it's, it's either your thing or my thing i don't know <laughs> oh speaking of big strong husbands oh my god i loved this one so oh my hoven nor says play it against a rated guy who kept 
maybe higher rated guy. Played against a higher rated guy. Played against a lower rated guy. Which one's funnier? Played, <laughs> played against a 100 rated guy. I thought <laughs> Played against a 100 rated guy who kept mumbling yes and raising his fist in excitement every time he got a good move. He is not a child. He is like my age. And then I responded and said what I still feel now in this moment um, was why does that seem kind of cute and endearing though every time I try to imagine it? Like, and she says, honey, he is like six foot five and big. That actually makes it so much cuter. Way Are you cuter. kidding me? Okay, come on. That's not a horror story. That's a rom com. I'm happy he found some good news. <laughs> Seriously, there's something so cute to me about that. Just like a grown man wagging his tail. I see myself in this man. Maybe I'm the problem. So, so far we've talked about the horror stories of opponents or other people's opponents during the game. But if you think that chess players stop haunting the rest of us between rounds, you would be mistaken. Mm-hmm. Random dude at Panamaria of One says, I was in a two-day tournament that started late because the t- tournament director's laptop died during registration. In the last round on Saturday, a mom of a kid playing bullied the tournament director into repairing the round twice. It ran so late that the venue closed and several games had to be adjourned until the next day. Wow. Las Vegas Life tells us about the time he had to wait an extra hour before the last round pairings could be done because an obnoxious 30-something 1900 insisted on playing out king and rook versus king and rook with no pawns against an old guy in the hopes that the old guy would drop his rook. I had a six-hour drive home. Oh my god. I would be seething. I would honestly be having a mental breakdown. I actually really do understand the angst behind that one. I love that he specified. He was just really hoping that this elderly, sweet old man would blunder to the death. You got 50 moves, right? (laughs) Okay. So, Strong Chess says, I was playing Tani in the World Open and somehow forgot to hit my clock just before move 40. I noticed with like two seconds left and hit it. My likely explanation was spooky ghosts. Yeah, that really is the only way to explain it, actually. Or maybe it was the other guy. Oh, uh, my German opponent. Yeah, yeah. It was either it was either Ian's opponent or your opponent. Um, one of them definitely snuck in there and fucked with the clocks. So that's the only way that I can understand this. And I'm not sure if people know this, but Strong Chess actually is a weightlifter, and you can tell this because this entire story is just a flex about how he was playing Tani. <laughs> oh my god! Wait. That's so true, though. But there are other supernatural events that have been reported as well, such as at Smith underscore UND. Not over the board, but last fall I was reading 60 memorable games and the power went out. The game I had been studying was 50. Stein. Specifically, a couple moves from the annotation where Bobby mentioned how the power went out during his game and he had to think in the dark. Okay, so a coincidence. Yes. Yeah, those are pretty scary. Next. No collection of chess horror stories would be complete without an ambassade story. (laughs) Holy hell. Hemmels says that me, during a county junior tournament, an opponent tries to capture my B4 pawn, quotes ambassade. I've never heard the rule before and complained. 
Cuba cringeworthy argument where neither of us knew what we were talking about. <laughs> Rent free. I'm now 36 for fuck's sake. Spooky, no. Sad, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm having secondhand cringe from that one. Go, Paul. Come hold my hand. <laughs> So these two go together. AB2023 says that the scariest story they have is being told about touch move only in their first tournament. That's one of those like uh, for sale baby shoes never worn kind of things where it's like there's so few words, but you know. How but you story. know, yeah. you know exactly what happened. And and I told in, you, oh, JJ, maybe this can be like a mini over the board horror story for me. that I have a friend here in Ann Arbor that I sometimes play over the board with, Alec, and um, he actually plays, you know, rated chess and was very serious about the rules. I thought that we were just drinking IPAs and chilling on my porch with my dog and having a good time. (laughs) And um, he very rigorously enforced touch move. And the more that I was drinking, the more that I was like actually just like blatantly arguing, like, just let me get away with it. (laughs) Just let me, just let me move a different piece. Um, and things kind of devolve. Maybe that's his horror story. But for me, it's like when you're drinking and you're hanging out with me at my house, house rules. <laughs> I can touch whatever I want. Oh, I'm not touching that one. Well, um, if you're at my house, you will be touching that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kieran at Blundering. <laughs> Oh, what a good at. I'm jealous of that handle. That's a good one. They're not alone here. I tend to play with taken pieces during a game. Sadly, on one occasion, I somehow ended up picking up my own in-play rook in the corner. Game over. Oh, then he had to move it. Yeah. But okay, what if what if you can't move the piece? Like, what if what if the knight is still there? So if you pick up the rook, oh, let's imagine the oh, rook couldn't move. There's oh, no... You can't be compelled to make an illegal move. So presumably the rook had a move or some move, but no moves that weren't game losing. Okay, so let's say that your rook has no moves, but it's mm-hmm. touch move, and so you pick up the rook yep. by accident. You can't then be what compelled happens? to make an illegal move, so nothing happens. Okay, that was just my question. Yeah, maybe if you keep doing it a ton, you could maybe <laughs> get like some sort of like time infraction for just like being fucking annoying. <laughs> but if you touch, but it, maybe maybe if someone keeps doing it by accident, they have an attention deficit disorder, and you're the one who's being fucking annoying by keep pointing out to them they shouldn't touch their pieces when you're just trying to hang out on the porch and be drinking. What is the USCF license <laughs> penalty for ableism? Thank you for saying that. Alec, my Vyvanse runs out by like 9 p.m., my dude. Oh, here's one I like. So a couple of these maybe have filtered into the open section, but we're now in the scholastic section of these stories. Kids are fucking awful. Mm. At Wheez and Beans tells us about a 10-year-old kid rated 300 points below me made fun of me in my last tournament after I blew a winning endgame position against him. And that in and of itself didn't really compel us towards any strong feelings. So I made sure to respond and say, can you please describe the bullying that allegedly took place in more detail, please? (laughs) To which Wheez and Beans wheezes. (laughs) He should. He would say things during my turn, like "You're actually losing now. <laughs> you should have accepted my draw offer. I can't believe I beat a 1400." And when I told him to be quiet while I'm thinking on my own time, he would point out the moves I could make and how they all lost. <laughs> okay, but that's cheating. <laughs> 
Could you end a game over that if someone is telling you moves to play at that point? Can you say, oh, they're trying to engage me in fraudulent activity and I win? I think that you could try to make that claim. And I think most tournament directors would interpret it more as like distraction and like give them a warning. 10 years old, already bullying grown men. I don't love to see it. I think when I played this like horrible blitz tournament at the National Open that like didn't start until midnight and went to like 3 a.m. or something, in the first round I showed up and I hadn't sobered up yet. And, <laughs> and like blitzing out moves, the kid I'm playing is like 400 points below me, not playing particularly well. And then I just start like hanging several pieces in a row and his friends sitting next to him just start oh, laughing oh and, and telling him how lucky he's gotten. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so what happened? Did you did you wiggle your way back? No, I just like <gasps> resigned and laughed and said, "You'll understand when you're older." And then beat him the next game, and then looked him dead in the eye and was like, "Guess the first one was a fluke." <laughs> oh my god, JJ! <laughs> All right. So we were just talking to Nate. <laughs> <laughs> who really does not understand what a horror story is. And as you'll come to see, other chess players seem to have this problem too. <laughs> Beloved enemy of the pod, Anna the Sage, says, I had a youngster that was stressed, taking super deep inhales and exhaling on my face for the whole game. He did not do it on purpose, but... That's and then I read this. My first reaction was like, okay, so your opponent was breathing. Your opponent was breathing. I hate it when that happens. Like, just stop doing that. In a similar vein of stories where one's opponent was alive, <laughs> Bold Move by Dan tells us that I was playing one of the top-ranked seven-year-olds in the U.S., and because kids that age have trouble sitting still, he fell out of his chair during the game twice. I was a little scared, but he bounced right back up. <laughs> okay. For listeners who are up to date on the podcast, they'll know that one of my worst fears is being moderately to slightly late to something. So, Pepper Chess <laughs> writes to us to say, Car broke down on the way to the tournament. Literally coasted into the parking lot after a few miles because the accelerator stopped working. Ran into the hall only slightly late. My opponent is one of our students. I get a winning advantage out of the opening, but I miss the final move to trap his queen. Just as my boss comes walking by, I lose the game as my attack comes. Why was our boss at a chess tournament? I'm guessing because it's just, she said our students, so I'm guessing she works for some chess teaching like uh, operation. Yeah, so the way that I'm understanding sort of the emotional sentiment of the story is my car was having trouble, so I was late, so I was already stressed. And then I had to play one of my students, who presumably I should beat. And then I actually had a winning advantage, but just because my nerves were so high from this entire chaotic situation, I couldn't execute and I lost right as my boss, who's aware of sort of this <laughs> rating dynamic between teacher and student, came by and witnessed the crumbling of my position. It's like the chess equivalent of walking into a bathroom and it's like completely disgusting and then you walk out and then the person <laughs> waiting for it is like the person you have a crush on and there's no way to communicate to them that it was that you found like this is like what this. happened yeah, like this is not who i am <laughs> oh my god Judy. that actually really brings it to life i understand now and finally chess pain sent us like a two-page story 
Nice, let's do it. Okay. A couple weeks ago, I was playing the Friday Night Classical game at the Seattle Chess Club. Time control is 90 minutes for the first 40 moves with no increment or delay, and then another 60 minutes after the 40th move. I am facing an opponent who is higher rated than me by a few hundred points, and I am gradually increasing my rating after some devastatingly bad tournaments at the start of my OTB, in quotes, career. (laughs) So he is higher rated, but I feel he is rated at around what I consider my actual strength and what is more aligned with my online rating, where I have much higher sample size of games. So this is scary. This is somebody who's higher rated online than over the board. (laughs) I'm very motivated. I have the white pieces and we enter and exchange French. That is also scary. Uh, They beat me to the joke. No, that is not supposed to be the horrific part of the story. The exchange French is an excellent opening at my level. Queen e2 check and control the diagonals with bishop f4 and bishop d3. Wouldn't your queen be blocking the bishop in? Ghosts can travel through walls. Bishops can travel through queens. Jet fuel can melt steel beams. (laughs) Fuck. Okay, keep going. (laughs) Anyways, the opening goes well for me and my opponent. Makes a weird knight maneuver, and I'm winning a pawn and start gaining space and tempo. I figure that if I don't blunder, this game is over since there is little counterplay in this type of structure. Things are going so well. We go through the middle game. I missed an opportunity to put my rook on the seventh, which would have been more or less decisive. It's move 35. I'm stall up a pawn, but we each have one rook and opposite colored bishops. My clock is down to somewhere around five or six minutes, but the time control is coming and I'll get an extra hour. And remember, there's no delay or increment. Okay, yeah. so it's blitz. Yeah, it's blitz. <laughs> I take a drink of water and feel something sharp in my mouth. What happened? I investigate a bit with my tongue, and what is this? A rock? Some leftover sofas? Just Payne wrote this. Like, I'm not, I'm not adding that one. I know, I'm reading it. This is so funny. <laughs> it's my tooth. Half of my molar is missing. And the sharp pain begins as it dawns on me and my nervous system wakes up. Oh my god. I make my next move and run to the bathroom. Is this a medical emergency? I'm in some pain, but it's not clear if I need to resign, offer a draw, play on. I mean, it's almost over, right? What I do know is that my opponent likely has made his move already and my clock is ticking. Mesmerized by the broken tooth in my hand, I realize I need to hurry back out there. I haphazardly put the tooth in my pocket, splash my face with some water from the sink, and have a brief pep talk moment in my head where I say, you will win this game. There is nothing you can do about the tooth now. It's past 11 p.m. on a Friday night. Let's go reach time control and reevaluate. That's right, because emergency departments are closed on Friday nights for all the partying that all the medical doctors need to be doing. I'm going to give myself this exact pep talk every time I like splash water <laughs> my face in the bathroom. You will win this game. There is nothing you can do about the, about tooth, the now. tooth now. It's past 11 p.m. on a Friday night. Let's go reach time control and re-fucking-evaluate. Yes. <laughs> JJ, we're putting this on a t-shirt. Oh, I knew that you were going to say that. I didn't, I, was, I didn't know I didn't even have to say that. There is nothing you can do about it. I come back to my JJ, board. There is nothing you can do about <laughs> Oh my god, I've never laughed so hard. Okay, keep going. This is the only good story we got. <laughs> so good. I come back to my board with three minutes left on the clock. Wait, stop, JJ, on the back of the shirt. It's going to be like, what is this? A little leftover stofers? <laughs> oh my god. I come back to my board with three minutes left on the clock. I sort of hold the side of my mouth, signaling perhaps in an effort to show my opponent that I have some kind of problem. (laughs) I move quickly, confidently. Rook to c5, attacking an Isolani he can't defend. Perfect. Maybe he'll resign. (laughs) My king is on f2. 
Black plays bishop to b6. The game is over. <laughs> I plundered my rook and there is zero compensation. I look down at my pocket. I can see the slight bump formed by the tooth fragment. I shake my head, give some Nepo-esque eyebrows, glance at my clock, and I resign. My opponent is thrilled. Want to go to the, over the game, he says. Normally, I'm happy to review the game even when I lose. Sorry, I'd like to, but actually... When I went to the bathroom earlier, it was because my tooth suddenly broke in half and I went there to try and figure out what was happening. I should probably go home or something. Really? You should have offered a draw. I would have understood. Yeah, but I thought I was easily winning. But then you blundered your rook. Yeah. The tooth still remains broken. I'm getting it fixed on the 14th of this month. Pissed off, I threw the broken tooth fragment out of my window when driving home. (gasps) No, don't do that. This unfortunately did not magically alter the outcome of the game. When I went to the dentist for initial exam, I explained what happened and that I was playing chess when it happened. She glanced at me and said, wow, I didn't know adults played chess. I thought it was mostly kids. Happy Halloween from Chess Queen. Uh, (laughs) Oh my God. What a delivery. Nate, if you're listening, that's a fucking horror story. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what would have made this so spooky and over the top would have been like, and then I went to the dentist and when she looked in my mouth, my tooth was there all along. There was no broken tooth. And then she looked in my mouth and she said, Bishop to B6. <laughs> she whispered into my mouth, BB6. <laughs> I just read this really funny tweet, JJ, that was like <laughs> writing fuck you on the inside of my mouth. <laughs> Before I go to the dentist. <laughs> oh, I respect that. Okay. Okay. Wow. What? What an episode, JJ. Yeah. So, what do you think, Julia? Do you think that this makes you more terrified to introduce somebody to the world of OTB chess in the future? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, actually. Unless they have the right chess teacher to guide them. So, let me know if you know anybody. And the right t-shirts and the right dentist, apparently. <laughs> And they cannot bring Panda Express noodles. You learn so much listening to our podcast. I know. I really thought that was okay. You know, for lots of people who started listening to this episode or saw us tweeting asking, what are your horror stories? Who were thinking, you know, I don't think I have any horror stories. You know what that means, right? You are the horror story. If you did not hear a story about yourself, consider yourself lucky. (laughs) Consider yourself lucky that you packed an extra pair of swim trunks, that you ate the noodles before you got caught in the rain, (laughs) that you went to the dentist before. That you are a dentist. You You went to the bathroom and you fix that shit yourself immediately. Oh my God. What would you do if that happened to you when you were playing a tournament? If my tooth fell out of my mouth? Yeah. Yeah, I... I would actually wouldn't be brave enough to ask for a draw, but I probably would resign and go get it fixed immediately. So, so here's, here's my hack. You don't lose rating points for a game that you lost by forfeit. And as we learned from chess games. Oh, you just start drinking. Yeah. To numb the pain. (laughs) You numb the pain. And if you don't get busted for drinking, then the pain's numbed. So you just, you know, play some good chess and probably still hang your rook and lose. And if you get forfeited, then at least you didn't have to, like, get the rating hit for losing The fact that you don't lose rating points for a forfeit seems like a potential for a big problem. Like, 
why don't you just act so egregiously that you have to forfeit every time you're losing? Yeah, I mean, maybe there's like some gray area there. Right? I think like in general, I mean, that's definitely true if it's like a forfeit of like a no-show or something. Maybe there is some gray area elsewhere. Yeah, or like there's a medical emergency. Like if yeah. your tooth falls out of your head. Well, you know what's actually really funny about that? We had at least two stories about someone being punched in the face and neither of them were the story where somebody's tooth fell out. Truly, truly. What I is know, this, there's no, game? yeah, I want the explanation. How did the tooth fall out? And why was the tooth really there all along? <laughs> the tooth is out there. <laughs> well, listen, the tooth will set you free. And the tooth will speak for itself. Until next time. (laughs) Stay spooky. Stay spooky. As always, thank you for letting us take you into this deep, dark forest. Where two plus two equals five, and the path leading out is only wide enough for listeners like you. Intro and outro music provided by JPEG Mafia. We would be truly touched if you subscribe and leave us a glowing review. And tell all of your friends. Yeah, all of them. And every week, we'll be gifting one lucky subscriber who leaves a five-star review a lifetime premium diamond membership to leechess.org. Unlocking all of their features. Even that? Especially that. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at ChessFeelsPod. Oh, and if you didn't like what you heard, do not hesitate to message any feedback. No matter how critical or scathing. Directly to Mr. Dodgy, our social media manager, even though he doesn't know it. At Chess Problem. Yeah. Yeah.